He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver me from the snare of a fowler and from a deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. And you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is your refuge. No evil shall be allowed to to befall you, and no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. And because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Let's pray. Well, Lord, our Heavenly Father, we come before your word this morning knowing that we need your help. We are totally dependent on you this morning. Dependent on you to make this word come alive in our hearts. So Father, give us eyes to see, ears to listen, and open hearts to respond to the glorious truths contained in this psalm. We invite you now, Holy Spirit, to fall afresh on us this morning that your word may pierce sleeping souls, that your word may build up and encourage and give us passion, Lord, for our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And do your work this morning, we pray, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Well, church, as we begin this year, we may start full of hope. You could be starting new ventures, new jobs, new school, a new term, or a new course. You could be starting uni or, or TAFE, starting a new chapter in life with the world and the opportunities before you. Or you could be excited about your kids starting school for the first time, like mine. With a new year comes new opportunities and experiences and hope. And it could be an exciting time. But for others, a new year may bring feelings of anxiousness of what lies ahead, particularly looking back at the last two years. For a starter, COVID-19 cases are still yet to peak. So catching COVID-19 might just be simply a question of when, not if. And you could be wondering, how bad am I going to get it? Or am I loved ones going to make through it. Others may dread more the effects of a lockdown 
and preparing back of normal life, like schools and childcare and work and travel, and wonder how are we going to balance it all? Or perhaps even without all this COVID stuff, life in itself is complicated enough. Whether it's a baggage of previous years' physical health, mental health, your financial situations or relational difficulties, it's simply lugged from one year into another year with no hope for change in sight. And perhaps as the year progresses, you only feel that the baggage is increasing, the weight is getting heavier, and as you look forward to this year, you dread. So as we begin our, our third week of the new year, the question I have for you is this. Where does our confidence lie in life? Where are we going to find that guarantee and surety in life? Is it in new opportunities, a new house, a a new renovation, a new job or career, the hopes of new relationships? And, And what is it? A new lifestyle, a new diet, new circumstances? The fact is we live in a perilous an uncertain world. And Job verse five, chapter five, verse eight reminds us: Surely, as sparks fly upwards, man is born into trouble. We all are born into trouble. But Psalm ninety-one this morning reminds us that there's only one place to find safety and security in life: in a life that's full of uncertainty and trouble. And it's not in a place or a thing, it's not in a situation or a circumstance, but it's only found in the person of our Lord and Father, God. And Psalm 91 celebrates God's watchful and loving care for his people. So our passage this morning encourages us to have confidence and trust in God's watchful and loving protection over us in all of life circumstances. My hope this morning is that you'll walk away from here with a renewed confidence and trust in God. That you'd walk away with a steadfastness of hope, a feeling of safety and protection that nothing in this world can ever provide or bring. No amount of financial wealth or health or circumstance. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit working in your soul this morning, You'd walk away free from anxiousness and putting your confidence in God's watchful and loving protection over you. I've entitled today's message, Secure in God's Protection. I've got three points. Point one, taking confidence in His protection. Point two, His protection misapplied. And point three, His true and better protection. So let's start with point one, taking confidence in his protection. As we read Psalm 91, there's, there's no doubt, is there, that it is all, it's all about God's protection over his people, that he's faithful and watching over you. And verse one and two really sets the whole tone of a, of a psalm. And the psalmist begins with a, with a, a bold declaration of truth. Let's read verse one. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. 
Well, shelter here refers to the tabernacle, which is a tent-like structure where God met with his people, the Israelites, when they were wandering in the desert. And the idea here is that the one who dwells in the presence of the Lord, the Most High, the Almighty, there is shade, there is protection in him. And being the shade and shadow of protection would have been a, a beautiful image for the Israelites when they read this psalm. The Israelites being desert dwellers would have understood the importance of, of shelter and shade. And what better to be in the shadow and the shade of the Almighty. But a psalmist doesn't stop there with the declaration of truth. He goes on to declare with confidence his trust in God's protection. Read with me verse 2. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God whom I trust. What confidence this exudes. But note how personal it is. Firstly, he goes from calling God the Almighty, the, the Most High, to Yahweh, which is seen as the Lord in all, all caps. And that name is the personal name of God. The psalmist declares the personal name of God as he declares his trust in him. But not only that, we see the repeated use of, of I and my. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress and my God to whom I trust. How beautifully personal and confident it is. This personal God being his refuge and fortress. So verse 1 and 2 very much sets the whole tone of the psalm. And the point is this, that there is protection for those who dwell in God's presence. And it's more than a mere fact or a declaration of truth, but it's something for all of us in the psalmist to take confidence in. And the rest of the psalm from verses 3 to 16 really much unpacks what this protection looks like. And it gives reasons why he can have confidence in God and gives insight into what this protection looks like. And in summary, it's pretty much deliverance and protection from anything and everything. It's as comprehensive as you can get it. And the psalmist uses imagery to do that. So let's unpack the psalm a little bit more. Verse 3. He will deliver you. He's the one who delivers. Meaning that if you get in trouble, he will deliver. And the imagery is trying to be as broad as possible. He's trying to deliver you from the snare of a fowler. From someone who's intentionally trying to get you. Their own, the whole purpose is trying to trap you and snare you. He'll protect you from that. But as well, he'll protect you from the deadly pestilence, which is translated as the plague. A threat that is indiscriminate, that is all-encompassing, that seeks to rob you of your life and your health. And the point is this, our God will deliver you from all that, whether it's a snare of fowler or the deadly pestilence that's indiscriminate, he will cover you and protect you from that. But not only will he deliver you, he will cover you in verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions or his wings. It's a beautiful image of an adult bird protecting the young and the vulnerable. Under his wings, and not just anyone's wings, but the wings of the Most High, the Almighty, you will find refuge. And his faithfulness is a shield and a buckler 
Another contrast here in combining the, the, both the nurture element of God's protection being under his wings and also the warlike imagery of his faithfulness being, being a shield and a buckler, which is like a, a small shield. <clears throat> and because of his cover, verse 5 and 6, you will not fear threats. What kind of threats? Verse 5 and 6, is, again, it's trying to be as wide as possible. Threats that either come stealthily at night or by the overwhelming force of the day that seeks to destroy you in broad daylight. But you shall not fear. In verse 7, you will not fear because you will be immune from the impending threat. And what a beautiful image this is. Many, many will indeed fall around you, but you will stand because you belong to him. Verse 9 and 10, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place the most high, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. So this, these verses oozes imagery of the Exodus, doesn't it? When God delivered Israel out of Egypt, when Pharaoh didn't let God's people go, and God sent his plague as judgment against Egypt. The plague will come, but the Israelites remain untouched because God's people were immune and sheltered. Verse 11, he will command his angels to do what? To guard you in all your ways. To protect you from what? Even the smallest of threats. Because you will not even strike your foot against a stone. It's like you, don't, you won't even stub your toes against a rock. Which is pretty hard if you think about Israelites walking around in the desert. But much more than that, verse 13, you will overcome your threat. The lion and the adder of a serpent you shall trample underfoot. So the point is this, as we read through these verses, God will cover us and deliver us from all threats, whether it's intentional or unintentional, whether the threat comes as a surprise or not, and regardless of the magnitude of a problem, big or small, even the stubbing of your toes, God will cover you and deliver you. It's as broad and as comprehensive as you can think it. And then verse 14 to 16, the voice changes to that of God. I see the first preceding um, 13 verses weren't clear enough. This is kind of a little panning of a picture to God himself, a little picture of his, what's happening in, in God's heart. You get a first-person view of God's intentions and what he will do. And it's like a, like a little movie that comes promise after promise of what he will do. Let's hear this, verse 14. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be here with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And with long life, I will satisfy him. Isn't that amazing, church? All these things that God is going to do for his people. So after reading Psalm 91, we should be left with no doubt about God's promise of his watchful and loving protection over those who dwell with him. And we should echo that trust and that confidence of the psalmist. But church, there's a problem, isn't there? If you're like me, as you read through the psalm, it doesn't really match up with our experiences or the experience of God's people around me at times. At a minimum, I've had my toes stubbed many times 
and my kids and my wife knows my, my toes are the most vulnerable part of my body. Something happens, the toy always drops on my toe. <clears throat> but beyond that, you may be sitting here this morning, suffering. You may feel that evil has indeed befallen us. You could have been unfairly treated at work or in relationships. And it feels like you're often the one to get hit by the arrow that flies in the day. And rather than being the one standing among the 10,000 that has fallen, it may feel more like that you have a one that gets hit amongst the 10,000 that remain standing. And you could be saying, Andrew, this psalm just doesn't match with my experience. Where is God's protection? And where is my deliverance? And if you're here today not a Christian, this psalm just confirms your thinking that, hey, Christianity just involves living in the cloud, blind faith, refusing to acknowledge what is real. This brings me to point two, his protection misapplied. Let me make clear that God's promise of protection is clear from this passage. There's no doubt about it. He covers us, he delivers us. What's also clear, though, as you look into the psalm, is that it never promises us that those who dwell in his presence will be immune from suffering or afflictions. And that's very dangerous, because if we believe that suffering would never come to those who dwell in his presence, it will cause us to doubt the goodness of God when suffering comes. Equally worse, when adversity falls, it may make you feel that you're not trusting in God enough. You've got to trust him more and more, and you might feel like you're a second-class citizen of God until that adversity goes away. And we can also misapply this psalm by constantly reciting this verse like an amulet of protection that by its recitals, the problems eventually go away. Don't get me wrong. We should definitely pray for God and ask God to help us as we go through afflictions. But what's important is that we don't demand the afflictions go before we know that God is with us and that we are under his protection. I'll say it again. It's important that we don't demand the afflictions go away before we know that God is with us and that we are under his protection. So when we read a psalm, each verse has to be interpreted in the context of a whole psalm, in the context of a psalm as well as the rest of the Bible. And the truth is, the psalm itself foreshadows suffering. Verse 3 says, He will deliver you. And the mere fact that he's delivering you means that you have indeed been caught or trapped. And that's why he's a deliverer. Because you have fallen into trouble. And further look with me in verse 15. It says it. I will be with him in what? In trouble. And he is with you. It's because you're in trouble. But not only in Psalm 91, we, we, we go to the context of the whole Bible and we see that God's people indeed goes through suffering again and again. Starting in the Old Testament, we see Joseph, the youngest child of Jacob, was mistreated by his brothers, sold into slavery, forgotten and wrongly accused, ends up in jail, expecting his life to waste away in jail. But God delivers him. Was he under God's protection? Yes. Did he suffer? Sure did. We read of Israelites, God's chosen people, who began with a story of affliction, 
when Pharaoh imposed hardship and mistreated them. But God, through Moses in the account of the Exodus, would become their deliverer. Were the Israelites God's chosen people? Yes. Did they suffer? They sure did. Fast forward to the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul himself. Paul's ministry to the Gentiles were marked by much suffering. In 2 Corinthians 11, we read that he was shipwrecked not once, but three times. Beaten with rods three times, being stoned, it's not pleasant, imagine being pelted with rocks, and left for dead. Went on day for, without food. Was he God's faithful servant and under his protection? Yes. Did he suffer? He sure did. We read of a church in Thessalonica. We read that they were a church that received the gospel and were growing in the fruits of the gospel. The gospel came to them not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So were they God's people? Yes. Yet in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, we read that Paul was sending Timothy to them to ensure that none of them were being moved by their afflictions. So they were obviously suffering. And we find this little nugget in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 2. And we sent Timothy, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. And hear this. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Wow. The church in Thessalonica was destined for this. Destined to suffer. Were they God's people and under his protection? Yes. Did they suffer? Yes. And of course, we come to the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus himself. God's only son. The one who went through death, even death on a cross, and endured much shame and humiliation. And in fact... Verse 11 and 12 of this, of this psalm was used by Satan to tempt Jesus as he started his ministry. We read of this account in Matthew 4, verse 5 to 7, where Satan took Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And Satan quoted verse 11 and 12 of this exact psalm to Jesus. He will command his angels, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. But note Jesus' response to Satan exactly denies the use of a psalm in this way. To not put God to the test by demanding that God act in a certain way for your own glory and comfort. Satan wanted Jesus to use God's promise of protection in a way that elevates Jesus' own glory and comfort. And Jesus reflects, rejects that. He knew his life was to fulfill God's will, and he was fully committed to it, even if it meant a life marked with suffering and affliction. So church, your point is this. As we read Psalm 91, we can absolutely be confident of God's watchful and loving protection over us in all life circumstances. But being under God's watchful and loving protection does not mean we are going to be immune from suffering or trouble or afflictions. Or put it another way, just because we go through adversities and trials in life, it doesn't mean that we are 
not under God's loving and watchful protection over us. The question is this. So how should we be applying this psalm? Which brings me to point number three. His true and better protection. So the key to unlocking this psalm is actually to read Christ into it. I'm thank, thankful for uh, Cassie before, at the, during the worship, even quoting the verse that I was going to use this morning. How kind of a, of a Lord. Um, <clears throat> as Luke wrote in, in, in Luke 24, 27, on the road to Emmaus, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in the scriptures all things concerning himself. As I studied and reflected more on this psalm over the past few weeks, there's indeed far more to this psalm than meets the eye as we read Christ into the psalms. Psalm 91 takes on a new life, both in terms of its application and in terms of its scope of protection. As we read Christ into the psalm, God's protection as outlined here is indeed truer and better. Firstly, in terms of its application. As we read Psalm 91, with a Christ lens, we can be assured of its application to us. Because as we read Psalm 91 closely, we realize that God's protection is actually not for all, but limited to those who dwell in the shelter of the Most High, verse 1. It is limited to those who have made the Lord your dwelling place, verse 9. It is limited to those who hold fast to him in love, verse 14. And so if we're honest with ourselves, for the most part, when trouble comes, we don't dwell in his presence. We have not made the Lord our dwelling place in our first instinct. We don't hold fast to him and definitely not in love. Chances are that when afflictions come, we instead blame him and doubt his goodness and love to us. Romans 3 verse 10 to 11 says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. The truth is, we don't seek God. And by our own devices, as good as the promises are in Psalm 91, they don't apply to us. We cannot achieve it outside of Christ. And we cannot be guaranteed of its protection outside of Christ. The good news, however, is that Christ is the one who has achieved for us. And that's where Cassie's verse comes in. That through Christ, every promise is yes in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. Because of Jesus' substitutionary death on the cross, his death paid for the penalty of our sins. And because of his perfect life, his righteousness was imputed to us so that our lives Today, for those who trust in him, is hidden in Christ. That through Christ, therefore, we are now the ones who are able to hold fast to our Lord God in love. In Christ, we now can dwell in the shelter of the Most High. And that in Christ, the Lord is our dwelling place. So the point is this. In Christ, we are guaranteed, no doubt, of God's watchful protection over us in all the circumstances of life, and that every promise in this psalm comes true. And we can have confidence to say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, 
in whom I trust. But not only in this application are we guaranteed, the scope of a protection is expanded as we read Psalm 91. Psalm 91, in fact, delivers a far greater deliverance for us than from mere earthly threats. As we look closer to Psalm 91, the ultimate threat and protection we need is actually from God's judgment itself. And God's judgment is actually littered all throughout this psalm. Verse 7. When it refers to the thousand that falls at our side and ten thousand at your right hand, it's actually referring to God's judgment. See verse 8. You will look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. The thousand that may fall at your side and the ten thousand at your right hand refers to the wicked being dealt the judgment of God, being compensated for all the wrong deeds of the past. This is God's judgment. God is a just and holy God, and he is a consuming fire. We come to verse 9 and 10. As I said before, oozes the imagery of Exodus and the plagues that befall Egypt. And indeed, it's in the context of God's judgment. God's judgment that reigned on Egypt, that everyone is affected except those whom God covers. And hence, none of the plagues affected Israel. And it's in that context that no evil shall be allowed to, def- to befall you. Not a drop of God's judgment will fall on his people. And this side of a cross, we know that because Jesus came in flesh and lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death on the cross, it means that through his death, he took on the full punishment of our sins. And in doing so, he gave us his perfect life. And that we have been delivered from the impending judgment of God. Hebrews 10.31 says, It is indeed a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. But how good is it for us, for those who trust in Jesus, that God's wrath has been fully paid out on Jesus himself. That Jesus became the propitiation for our sins and that there is no more God's wrath to be poured out on those who trust Jesus. So the point is this, Psalm 91 points us to the true and greatest protection we all need. Psalm 91 points us to the true and greatest protection that we have in Christ. And it's not merely a protection, not merely a protection from earthly threats. It does do that, but more importantly, from the judgment of God himself. In fact, the Apostle Matthew, when he penned the Gospel of Matthew, wrote this in chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who will kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And note here the reference to the ideas in Psalm 91. No arrows or pestilence can ever match the destruction of a living God. Or church, no earthly discomforts and threats can ever match the judgment of a living God. On that day of judgment, when God will bring all acts to account, God himself, through Christ, will cover those who trust in him. 
God will deliver us from this judgment. So Jesus is indeed the true and better protection. He has guaranteed our salvation through the work of Jesus. God has covered us and delivered us from his just and holy wrath because all of God's judgment and wrath has been exhausted on the cross. For those who trust in Jesus, there is shelter, there is protection, and there is deliverance. So in closing, if you're sitting here this morning and you have yet to commit your life to Jesus this day, today's the day. Don't delay. Put your faith in Jesus and follow him. All the calamities of this world is no match for the righteous judgment of an almighty God to come. And that's why God became flesh 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus. He lived a perfect life and died a death that we should have died. And as a result, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Trust in him this day as your saviour and follow him. And if you're here, get to follow him, and you feel that God is tugging at your heart, don't delay. Claim your protection this day. And what's even sweeter, you get to be in a relationship with the Almighty. You get to go through life with all its uncertainties, with him by your side. So come to speak to me or a friend who brought you and would love to pray for you and claim that divine protection for you. It will be the best decision you ever make. If you're already following Jesus and trusting him, well, take comfort that because of Jesus' work on the cross, in Christ, you are dwelling in this presence and you can be confident that you are under his watchful and loving protection in all circumstances of life, in life and in death. That in our everyday ebbs and flows of life, that he'll protect you from unnecessary earthly threats. COVID, cancer, accidents, yes, he does and will protect you from that. He does protect you from these unnecessary earthly physical threats. So, as we start this new year, we can commence our courses, our vocation, our new ventures, how we serve in the church, with a humble and quiet confidence that God is with us, doing all things, protecting us, delivering us and covering us, missing an accident, not getting COVID. Yes, that's all true. Deliverance and surviving through crisis, yes, physical, mental anguishes, Financial or relational difficulties, he'll deliver us from that. He can deliver us from all that. He could do all that. And we can take a quiet confidence in all that. We should run to him in prayer. But don't be surprised when adversity comes. If accidents happen, if COVID comes, you lose that job. You lose your precious ones. Ask God for mercy. Ask God for deliverance. Take confidence that he is with you. And remember, just like the Thessalonians, if afflictions come, you are destined for it. And you are not alone because his sovereign 
loving person of God is with you. He will answer you. He will rescue you and honor you. And perhaps one of the greatest understatement in verse 16, with long life, he will satisfy you. You actually will have eternal life. He will show you his salvation. And haven't God shown us that in Jesus? So church, your health, your wealth, your relationships could all be taken away. But his presence shall be with you evermore. So we don't fear sickness. We don't fear death or afflictions. We will be affected, but we shall find comfort. We will be under his wings, and he will cover you and deliver you. So let me end with two examples, two cases. Firstly, the Apostle Paul himself is running from jail in prison, and he wrote a heartfelt letter to his beloved disciple Timothy. And he wrote in 2 Timothy 4.18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed. Note again the reference to Psalm 91. And bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. In the end, Paul was not rescued from death. On the contrary, according to tradition, soon after the letter was written, Paul was beheaded by Nero an evil man. But Paul was rescued in the fullest sense as God brought him safely into his heavenly kingdom. And perhaps a little bit more closer to home, we think of Auntie Jeanette, Yui's mum, Uncle Stephen's dear wife. In December 2020, on a Sunday service after church, still remembered, Auntie Jeanette, outside on the balcony, committed her life to Jesus. It's a sweet moment because Yui, Yuan, has been praying for her for a long, long time. And that was an answer to prayer that day. But shortly after that, Auntie Jeanette was diagnosed with cancer. She spent the next few months undergoing treatment and being in and out of hospitals. And Psalm 91 was a balm for her soul. And this song was actually put into music by Sovereign Grace Music. And Yui would share that night after night, he would share and sing this song to her. And she would put this song on repeat, and, she, and, then, and then she would be assured of God's protection over her, that God would deliver her, that God would cover her under his wings, all because of Jesus. Things started turning better during the year, in 2021. Her body seemed to be responding to the treatment. Things started turning better, and she was hopeful. But suddenly, things turned to the worse around July 2020. And she finally succumbed to cancer in August 2020. But you know what, church? God indeed did deliver her. And just like the Apostle Paul, she would echo that the Lord has indeed rescued her from every evil because she's been brought safely into his heavenly kingdom. God covered her, protected her, delivered her. 
And now she's resting and enjoying and savoring our Lord Jesus face to face. So church, as we start the new year, our passage tells us that we can have confidence and trust in God. Trust in his watchful, loving protection in all of life, in all of life's circumstances, in life and in death. When suffering comes, don't be alarmed. Don't be troubled. Run to him because he promises to be with you. And more than that, because of Christ and his work on the cross, we know that God will cover us from the impending wrath and judgment to come and bring us into his lasting presence. Dear friends, Psalm 91 promises us that as we start the new year, can walk with confidence, trust in his God, in God's watchful and loving protection in life and in death, in all of life's circumstance. He is with us. He will cover us. He will protect us. He will deliver us. And he will bring us home. Please pray with me. Well, Father Lord, we, we thank you for these, uh, these words in Psalm 91. We thank you for your great promise of protection and that every single one of his promises finds its yes in Jesus. Father, Lord, we thank you for the work of, of Christ on the cross. That indeed this day we are guaranteed of your protection for us. And not just merely from earthly intru- threats, but from the ultimate threat of our sin and the penalty of our sins. Thank you, Christ, that you have paid it all so that this day we stand secure in you. That, God, this day we can call you our fortress and our refuge. Help us, God, this day to say with confidence because of Jesus' mighty works, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Amen.